you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Bill called me a few weeks ago and asked me if I would be willing to preach tonight. I was really struck by that because I know how anxious Scott is to preach the Word. And uh, so I, I told Bill, I said, so does that mean I need to call Scott and tell him I need to take him out to lunch or, or what? I didn't know what was going on there. So I called him and offered him uh, to take him out to lunch for giving me this opportunity to preach tonight. And uh, to be honest with you, this morning I knew he, hadn't, he was about halfway through his sermon. I thought, well, he's going to ask to uh, finish that up tonight, so I'm not going to get the opportunity. Uh, but he didn't do that. Uh, but I do appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, to preach God's Word uh, tonight and to be among you. I, I, Grace has been a very much a blessing to us uh, since we've uh, moved here, uh, our membership at least. We still live in Russell Springs, but uh, it's a joy each and every time we gather together with you all uh, to worship our God and, and uh, look forward to tonight uh, being able to share the Word of God with you. So if you look at John chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 30, really, uh, through 38, uh, because I want to bring this all into context for you in chapter 7 is how it's all connected to chapter 8. Uh, but let's read it. In John chapter 8, in verse 30, I knew I shouldn't have brought this small print Bible because I can't see it. <laughs> it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, and we're going to camp out there a lot tonight, right here. It says, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered Him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, and we all know what he goes on to say, you're going to be free indeed. And I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not uh, you do what you've heard from your father. So, you know, the puzzling question for us tonight is these people actually believed uh, when he says they have, are seeking to kill him. Uh, you've got to wonder. And so tonight we're going to dissect this text and pull out the application of it. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this night. And Lord, we just humbly come to you now and we ask you, Father, to help us understand your word. God, we we acknowledge and we confess unto you that apart from your Spirit, we understand nothing of your Word. And so, Father, we ask, please now bless us with your Spirit, fill our minds and our hearts, and give us comprehension of what we're reading. Give us understanding, give us wisdom, enlighten our minds and our hearts. And Father, mold and fashion us into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll turn back to chapter 7, I want you to notice uh, in John chapter 7 and in chapter 8, these two sections of uh, chapters are both connected. 
Okay, as you begin in chapter, or chapter 7, verse 1, and you read on to where we are reading tonight, it all goes together, okay? And if you'll read with me there in, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After this, uh, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' uh, feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. And I'm not going to keep on reading, but I want you to notice in the context of this section, in chapter 7, we have the Feast of Booths going on, or the, the Tabernacle, Feast of the Tabernacle, okay? And, 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 and during the, the Feast of the Tabernacle, it's interesting, it'll kind of give you some information about chapter 7 and chapter 8. During that time, and I'm not going to go into great detail because I don't want to camp out totally right here, but I do want to just give you some information about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. During that time, they would have a time where they would draw water. There was a drawing of water, a ceremony of that. And it's interesting to see because in John chapter 7, in verse 37 through 39, what is it that Jesus proclaims here? Does anyone know? What is He? He is the living water, right? And so as they're demonstrating this, as they're drawing the water out, what does Jesus do? He stands up and declares that He is the living water. He is the one who can provide satisfaction to the soul. He declares that among them. It's always interesting if you look through the Gospels, every time uh, the religious people are gathered together doing a ceremony or reading the law, whatever it would be, Jesus usually always stands up and takes that opportunity to declare who He was. Right? And He does the same in John chapter 7, 37 through 39. And then as you move into, into John Chapter 8, what is it that Jesus declares in John chapter 8? In John 7, he declares that he is the living water. In John chapter 8, what does he say? He is the what? The light under the world, right? He is the light. He is the truth. And it's interesting, during the, the Feast of the Tabernacles, what they would do at the night as the ceremony was ending, all lights would be cut out. And there would be one light shining in the tabernacle that would glow over Israel. It would glow over Israel. And so as, as they do that, Jesus takes the opportunity to say, I am the light that shines into the darkness. I am the truth that man needs. And so during this celebration of this feast, Jesus takes opportunity to declare who he is. And then you see in John chapter 7, this great uh, dialogue between Jesus and the people. They're wondering, who is this guy? Is he a prophet? And you can read that on your own. Is he a prophet? Is he a, a priest? Is he a, a good person? Who is this guy? He proclaims that he has this living water. He proclaims that he is this light. Who is he? So essentially, as we look at our text tonight, what Jesus has done to the people is he's presented salvation unto them. He's told them about himself, and he even, even tells them in chapter 7 and in chapter 8, he, he has come to do the will of the Father. He's not doing his own thing. He's not doing his own show. He is doing the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That he would die, and that he would resurrect, and that he would ascend to the right hand of God, that he would become that water, that he would be that light. He declares that to these people. And it's interesting in our text... Because the text tells us that some believed. Some believed what he was saying. But the question for us tonight is, 
did they really believe what he said? Did they really believe? I mean, there really is a test of true discipleship. And and Jesus, thankfully, gives us that information right here in John chapter 8. Well, we've got to ask ourselves, what does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it really mean to do that? One other thing I want to point out before we get into the text, and you might want to just jot these things down, is Jesus in that day was very popular. Very popular. Why was he popular? Well, you, you, I want to give you three things of why he was very popular among the people. Here's one of them. <clears throat> Many verses within the Gospels declare that Jesus marveled the crowd with what he knew. And since he was an uneducated man, this perplexed them. They didn't know how to take him. He's uneducated. And in fact, they say that in John chapter 7, verse 15, they said the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? How does he know all this stuff when he's never studied like we do? And the people were always marveling about the fact that he was able to, to debate the religious Jews of that day and put them to shame. They would marvel at that. There are also verses that point out to us, the reader, that Jesus taught with authority. He taught unlike anyone else did. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 through 29, we're told that very thing. He taught as one who had authority. He was unique. He was very different than everyone else. And lastly, and I think we'd all agree to this, his miracles that he performed caused great excitement among the people. And anticipation of more and more miracles is what they wanted. You remember Jesus even saying, you wicked generation. Always wanting a sign. Luke 5 verse 26, it says, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After Christ had performed a miracle. And so you look at how he debated the people and how he he had no education and he was able to put them to shame. You look at how he had the authority that he had and then you look at all the miracles that he had done and surely to goodness people would believe, wouldn't you think? You all agree? I mean, I don't know how many people I've talked to who said, man, if the Lord would just come down and do the things he once did before, I would believe in him. You ever had that told to you? That's the mentality of a lot of people. And here in our text it says taking all these things into consideration. It says some believed. In chapter 8, verse 30, it says, And he was saying these things, and many believed in him. Many believed in him. And so tonight, the first thing I want you to notice in our text is there is a profession of faith. There's a profession of faith. We're told in verse 30 that there were many who believed in what Jesus was saying. What was he saying? You've got to keep it all in context. Chapter 7 and chapter 8 all go together. What was he saying to them? He is what? The living water. He is the light of the world. And what does the Bible say? And they believed. There's this debate going on. Who is he? What is he doing? Man, what's this guy? He's somebody special. They did believe. But what did they believe? What did they believe? There's a profession of faith or, or belief. But I want you to notice tonight, I just want to say this. Just because someone has made a profession, a belief, doesn't mean that they possess faith. 
You hear that tonight? Just because someone professes belief does not mean that they possess faith. Do you all agree? I mean, we see it all the time, don't we? I mean, think about this. I mean, you, you just think about doing evangelism. As you go out into your neighborhoods and you talk to your friends and your family, co-workers, whatever it would be, teenagers at school, whatever. Man, everybody says, oh yeah, I believe in God. Don't they? I mean, how often do you run into somebody who says, I don't believe in God at all. He doesn't even exist. How often do you run into that person? Very seldom, right? I mean, most people you run into, oh yeah, I'm a member of such and such church. Oh yeah, I believe. Man, y'all are, are y'all with me tonight? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I knew as soon as Scott said the welcome and there was hardly any feedback, I thought, oh man, it's going to be rough tonight. Come on, wake up. All right? I know everybody's had their naps this afternoon. Let's get going, all right? But isn't that the reality? Everybody believes. You know, it's funny. When I was pastoring in Harrodsburg, I, I, I was out doing some visitation, just some cold calls, and I remember uh, running into this one lady particularly. And, I, and I, you know, I didn't tell her where I was from, what church or anything. I just told her we were out in the neighborhoods just wanting to invite them to Christ to know Christ and let them know we're praying for them, we care for them, we're there for them if they need anything. And you know what she said? Now, I was pastoring Pioneer Baptist Church. She goes, yeah, I'm a member out there at Pioneer Baptist Church. I go there all the time. And I'm sitting there going, you know, how do I deal with this? Because I'm the pastor there. And I, so I just simply said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I've been there for the last two years and I haven't seen you. I'm the pastor there. And whoa, you talk about backing up. She didn't know what to say then. But man, that's the reality. We find a lot of people, our culture is saturated with people who just acknowledge that Jesus is some good man. He was a prophet. Yeah, he did die. He did resurrect, but that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. Oh, they profess belief all day long, but they do not possess saving faith. Isn't that sad? So sad. But what about these people here? Did they really possess saving faith? It says they believed. Did they really believe? Well, if you'll look on down in verse 34, and I'll just start reading off some things, and you make your own conclusions on whether they really were believers or not. In verse 34, Jesus answered them and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. This is how he's responding to those who say they believe. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would what? Love me. Are these really believers? And, right, who said that? Verse 38, I told you, just draw your own conclusions. In verse 38, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. <laughs> oh, we're getting too excited now. In verse 44, now we find out who their father is. In verse 44, listen to what he says. You are of your father, the devil. Now, now, now let's, let's, let's back up. I thought they believed. Are you all with me? Are you reading the same thing I'm reading? I thought they believed. In verse 45 and 46, it says, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And you've got to realize he's still talking to the same people. 
And, it, and it's good for us, and I want to say this here, it's good for us, all of us who would profess Christ or acknowledge Him or give mental assent to Him, we better pay attention to ourselves. We better examine our lives and make sure our lives really line up with Him. We better be sure. Verse 37, it says, And I know that you are of the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Man, that's scary. I don't know about you, but there are certain sections in the Gospels, all throughout Scripture, that scare me to death. Why would we have such a warning? Listen, I really believe the churches are filled with with people who just give mental assent to Jesus Christ. And their lives have not been radically transformed by His grace. They're filled with them. I mean, listen, I've been in three churches now. <sighs> They're there. All you got to do is start proclaiming the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and man, they start showing that they only believe, they give mental assent to Him. They've not been changed by Him. Because it's amazing they just come radically after the one who's declaring the truth. What did they do to Jesus? They wanted to kill Him. But yet they believed. They acknowledged that, yes, He must be the light of the world. Yes, He might be that living water. Yes, He might be the Christ. But yet they wanted to kill Him. Isn't that scary? You know, I think we need to check our own lives and make sure that we, as we just come and do the church thing, that we're not just giving mental assent to Jesus Christ. And in the rest of the week, what are we doing? Living our lives however we please. He is absent. He is void from our lives the rest of the week. And yet, but we'll come to church and we'll give mental assent unto Him. Yes, we'll agree with the pastor. He's sovereign. Yes, He died for sins, but it has not ever been a reality in your own life. Y'all hear me tonight? God, there's a church everywhere. Churches are filled with people this way. They just profess. But it's not really been enrooted within their hearts. You know, it's an amazing too in the New Testament. The New Testament's assurance of salvation is radically different than ours. I mean, if you ask somebody how they know they're saved, it's amazing what you get. Well, back in 1950, I walked down the aisle of First Baptist Church and I prayed the prayer, did what the pastor told me to do, and I was baptized. That's how they know they're saved. Isn't that scary? They, 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 they put the, their assurance based on formalism and not Christ? Are you all hearing me tonight? I mean, this is what the problem with these people Jesus is talking to. They were formally religious. Yes, we're the sons and daughters of Abraham. We're His lineage. We have to be of God. We have to be the children of God. We have to be on our way to heaven. Not so. Just like us, man. We put our assurance into some kind of formula act that we do in churches. They were doing the same exact thing then. Not trusting Christ, but trusting a formula or a religion. Does that make sense? It's exactly what they're doing in the text. 
Listen, in John chapter 6, verse 66, listen to what happened. As Jesus begins telling all these spiritual things to these people, you know what they do? In verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They left. They left. They departed. And then you have things like the parable of the sower. Jesus described, listen to what he said, Those on the rocky soil as those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they do not have a what? They don't have a root. They believe for a while, and then in the time of temptation, what happens? They fall away. Right? We constantly see that throughout Scripture, don't we? They hear these things, and then they're just gone. They want nothing to do with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge you're a prophet. Yes, you're something special. But beyond that, let's leave it alone. First John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have what? Continued. They would have continued. So that leads us into our next point. Yes, there's a profession of, of belief. There's a profession of faith. But what is it that separates the true believer from a false one? I mean, we've already read the text that tells us that these people really did not have saving faith. If they were, they would not be classified as following the father, their father, the devil. So what is it that separates the true believer from one who's not? Jesus gives us that answer. Look in verse 31. In verse 31, so Jesus said to those Jews, those ones he's just talking to, he's, that had believed in him, he says, if you abide in my what? His word. You are what? Possibly my disciples. You are truly. In other words, genuinely. You are genuinely my people. So how do we really know if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ? It sounds very simple, but it's also very profound. We abide in the Word of God. We abide in it. What does the word abide mean? What does it mean to abide? Well, it has the, the application of dwelling there. Continually dwelling in something. But not only that, but it also carries the idea with, it, with being obedient. You're dwelling in the Word, you're abiding in the Word, you're staying in the Word, and you're being obedient to what the Word says. That's how you know if you're really a disciple. That's what separates those who are true from those who are false. And listen, those who are false cannot be obedient to God's Word. They can't. It is absolutely impossible for a dead man to obey Live instructions. Only those who are living can hear it, and only those who are living can obey it. They're the only ones. And listen, those who are alive in Christ, they are the only ones that dwell there. They're the only ones that stay there. They're the only ones that hunger for it. Listen, I'm not saying you do this perfectly. I'm just simply saying this is your passion. Because none of us could say that we perfectly abide in the Word of God. Could we? If anyone would say that, First John has your answer. You sin because you're not telling the truth. 
right? None of us are perfect. But it ought to be our passion. It ought to be our hunger deep within us to know the Word of God and to obey Him. Right? Listen to how Peter describes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to how he describes it. He contrasts a baby or an infant with that of the believer. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. What is it, and, and many of us have been parents or are parents, whatever your situation would be. You know as soon as the baby comes out, what is the first thing it wants? It wants milk, doesn't it? I mean, it is craving for milk. It is now into this world, it's moving, it's breathing, it's living, and what is the first thing it wants? It wants the milk. And man, if you, if you don't give a baby its milk, what happens? It's a miserable night, isn't it? Cry, 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 isn't it? And the same thing Peter's saying here for those who are believers. Listen, just like those babies long for that milk, you too long for the Word of God. Because now that God has made you alive, that's what you want. You want His Word. You want to be obedient to His Word. You want to live unto His glory. That's what you desire. That's what's in the root of your heart, is to do that. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God. That's what you want to do. And the only way you're ever going to glorify God is if you know what His Word says. And so Jesus says, listen, if you really have believed in me, Abide in my word. Abide in my word. John 17, verse 17. Listen to what it says. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is what? Truth. Truth. How are we going to be sanctified? How are we going to be made holy? By the word. That's how. And so now we know. What is it? What is a true believer versus one who's false? The true believer has a hunger for the Word of God. They're being changed and conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. The false believer can't do that. Yes, they're going to give mental assent. Yes, they may come and join the church. Yes, they may sit in the pew, but that is all it will ever be for them. Does that make sense to you tonight? That's all it will ever be for them. And remember, we're not perfect at this. We're serving the one who was perfect for us, right? He was perfect in our stead. And we tr entrust ourselves unto Him. And we passionately follow Him. Are we going to make mistakes? Are we going to mess up? Are we going to sin? Absolutely yes, we will. But shall we continue in our sin? May it never be. May it never be. You see in the verb there are in verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The verb here suggests that Jesus was not telling them the requirements for becoming a disciple. He did not say, if you continue in my word, you will become genuine disciples. Listen, to what, instead he declared that the nature of true discipleship consists of continued obedience to the word. Continued obedience to his word. So those that continue, or those who abide in His Word, these are the ones who are His. They're His. 
Didn't Jesus say in the Gospel of Matthew, all those that persevere to the end will be what? They'll be saved. Same implication here. If you continue in my word, and you continue in obedience, you really are my people. You really will be saved from the wrath of God. Let me ask you tonight, are you really continuing in the Word? Or maybe you're here and you just always just given Jesus a mental acknowledgement that, yeah, He is something special. He is something extraordinary. Yeah, He probably did die on the cross. Maybe you've just been going along, hum-ho on this for many, many years and never, ever trusted Christ for salvation. Boy, isn't that scary? In John 14, verse 21 through 24, it says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John uh, 15, 14, it says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In 1 John chapter 2, 4 through 6, it says, Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments, listen to this, they're a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may be sure that we are in him. And whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Can it be any clearer? Can it be any clearer of who are those that are truly His disciples? It is that simple. If you love Christ and keep His Word, you are His people. If you do not love His Word and you are not obedient to what His Word says, you are not His disciple. You're not. I think we all know Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says there's going to be many on that day who will come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? I'm, I'm, I'm even convinced that some are going to walk up to the living Lord Jesus Christ who died for the sins of His people. And they're going to say, I walked the aisle. I'm convinced people are going to do that. I'm convinced there's going to be people who are going to pull out their baptism card and say, I was baptized at this church. They're that religious. It sounds funny, but it's real. They've been doing this religious game all their life. And then they're going to meet Him on that day and say, Lord, I did. I did it. And what does the text say? Depart from me. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Isn't that a shame? We'll wrap it up here. Not only do believers have a relationship, those who are true have a relationship to the Word of God, but secondly, the true believers have courage when it comes to the Word of God as well. See, those, those who are false, and I'm not going to be able to get into all this because we're losing time, but those who are false, what happens to them? When affliction comes, when persecution comes because of the Word, what do they do? What does the Bible tell us they do? Hey, see you later. I don't want that. They run off. You can't find them. And man, I am convinced in our day we are fixing to find out who are the true and who are the false in the United States of America. 
I really believe we are going to face serious persecution because of the faith in which we say we believe we're going to be persecuted. And we'll really find out then who really is real and who are those who are false. Because, boy, they'll run away. They'll run away. Not only that, they have courage, but true believers have a comprehension of His Word. In verse 32, it says, And you will know the truth, and what will the truth do? It's going to set you free. It's going to liberate you. It's going to release you from the bondage of sin. That's what the Word's going to do. If you abide in my Word, notice this, put it in context. If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples, and then what's going to happen? You're going to know the truth. And what is the truth going to do for you? It's going to make you free. It's going to release the bondage and chains of sin from your life. Isn't it amazing in your own life when you find yourself outside the Word of God how it's so easy for sin to creep into your life? You ever find that to be true? (laughs) If you really are His, you ought to find that to be true. And when you go back into the Word of God and God begins by His Holy Spirit just convicting you of that sin that's rooted itself in your life, His truth exposes it, and you're able to confess it. And what are you then? You're free from it, aren't you? You're free. That's why Jesus says, if you remain in my word, you really are my people. Because the truth will make you free. And not only do we see that, but we also see that their relationship to sin has changed. Their relationship to sin has changed. In verse 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you're free what? Indeed. You're free indeed. And so your very relationship to sin at that point is changed. You no longer want to continue on that old path any longer. I mean, how many times are we reminded by Paul and Colossians and Ephesians and many other books, put away the old man. Put on what is new. Peter tells us the same things. Do not be conformed to the old ways of living. You've passed on from darkness now into light. Don't continue that way. Listen, those who are genuine, those who are true in the faith, listen, they have a whole different perspective on sin. Instead of running to it, they want to run away from it. There's something seriously wrong in our lives when we want to continue to run to it instead of the Word of God. You hear me tonight? So I just want to challenge you because I'm sure every one of us in this room at some level would acknowledge Christ is something. But let me ask you this question tonight. Has it radically changed your life? Has His grace set you free? Has it? Listen, back up to, real quickly, I want to share this with you and we'll be finished right here. But in chapter 6, man, listen, Peter is a perfect model of this right here. In chapter 6, listen to what it says in verse 68. It says, Jesus has told him these spiritual things and there have been many who have walked away. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And listen to what it said. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One. Man, Peter's a perfect model of this. Of what Jesus is saying. If you 
continue in my word, you are mine. You will know the truth and you'll be set free. You'll have understanding. And your relationship to sin has now been changed. Peter says, where would I go? Where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Man, isn't that awesome? Where do we turn to? Only unto Christ. And so tonight I ask you, are you truly His? Are you truly His? Or are you just giving a mental assent or acknowledgement of who He is? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this night, for this day, God, from beginning this morning with the worship of You and hearing the message from Scott and his challenge to us to live radical lives. Father, now tonight as we sing and hear once again the plea to live radical. Not just mentally acknowledging that you are there, but living our whole lives unto your glory. And Father, I pray that this week, God, you would just bring, heap conviction on our lives from what we've heard this day. And Father, use your Spirit to move in us and conform us and mold us into the image You desire us to be, Father. And Lord, may we be, as we walk out of these doors, may we be encouraged to get into Your Word to find out who You are and be obedient to what You say and live lives this week that would honor You. As Paul said, in all that we say and all that we do, may we glorify Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, we are weak. We are so weak. We pray these things in Jesus' name.